Welcome to episode four of the Privacy Podcast brought to you by Buck Author, a law firm with offices up and down the West Coast in California, Arizona, Washington, and Oregon. I'm joined today by Tony Orler, a senior counsel in Buck Author's Los Angeles office, and Carl Gerner, one of our regular superstars and associate in our Seattle office. I'm Daniel Zarchi, associate from Buck Author's San Francisco office. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, now, Tony, as this is your first time on the podcast, it's tradition. Why don't you say a few words about yourself? What do you do outside of the privacy pod, uh, privacy industry? What do you do inside privacy? And um, and then we can go from there and start talking about the biggest news of the day. Sure. Thanks, Daniel. Um, so my practice is focused on intellectual property. Uh, I do a lot of patent, trademark, and copyright work, mostly uh, patent prosecution, dealing with patent offices around the world. Um, so uh, privacy kind of intersects with that in that uh, we're sending data back and forth from the United States to other countries for patent applications and uh, devices and things like this. So we end up sort of intermingling with the privacy world uh, in that regard. So I've been following a lot of the privacy laws uh, of late, as we've all been doing uh, at Book Culture. So we're, we're being uh, a little more proactive in this regard. And that's kind of where my practice is going right now. Well, great. Thank you for joining us. And Carl, welcome back. How, how are you doing up in Seattle? Doing great. Summertime has finally hit the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, my, my tomato plants are looking great. Um, so anyway, thank you guys for jumping on the pod. We are doing something a little different um, compared to our previous episodes, which is we are talking about some breaking news. Now, the breaking news is one of the biggest things that happened in the international privacy sphere recently. And this is the decision that is being commonly known as Schrems II. This is the Court of Justice of the European Union, which we'll be referring to as the CJEU, in Data Protection Commissioner versus Facebook Ireland and Maximilian Schrems. So before we get into the details of today's decision, let's take a walk down memory lane and talk about some of the factors that led to Schrems II. Now, this is not going to surprise anybody, but Schrems II came after Schrems I. And going back, before there was a GDPR, there was something called the Data Protection Directive, which was European, which is the European Union's privacy law. And part of the DPD, which is also part of the GDPR, is that for any data transfer that begins in the EU and ends outside of the EU, the country to which the data is being transferred must be considered, quote unquote, adequate meaning that the privacy laws there are sufficient that the European consumers whose data are, is being sent outside of the EU will be equally protected in the quote unquote third country. As I mentioned, that part of the law did survive into the GDPR and is part of the current law. So the problem here is that the United States is not adequate. It is not adequate by EU standards because American privacy law does not rise to the same level as the privacy laws set out in the GDPR. Now, what that means is that there has to be some other mechanism by which European-based companies can transfer data to US-based companies. There was originally something called Safe Harbor Privacy Principles, which um, in 2015, a 
privacy activist named Max Schrems complained to the Irish supervisory authority that safe harbor was adequate. Now, what he argued was that given the revelations of the U.S.-based surveillance that were revealed by Edward Snowden, the U.S. surveillance on foreign individuals in the U.S. rendered safe harbor inadequate to protect EU data. And when that happened, uh, Max Schrems won his case and the court struck down safe harbor in what was called Schrems 1. After that, the EU and the United States agreed to something called Privacy Shield, which came with similar protections under safe harbor and included something called an ombudsman in which individuals could uh, could seek could complain to the ombudsman if there was a violation, ombudsperson if there was a violation of their privacy rights. And Privacy Shield has been in place since then. Um, on the other hand, there, there is something called standard contractual clauses, which are a pre-approved set of contractual guarantees that parties agree to on a per case basis, usually as an addendum to a contract. And so companies can agree to what are called SCCs, standard contractual clauses, that basically say that for the purposes of this transaction, here are the additional privacy rights they're agreeing to. Now, Max Schrems once again brought suit saying that when his data that he was giving to Facebook by being a member of Facebook was being transferred to the United States from Ireland, this was a violation because the SCCs did not protect his data. And the decision today, which was not necessarily seeking a question of whether Privacy Shield was adequate, but was more focused on the SCCs, is addressing the question of whether SCCs are adequate or whether SCCs are available and whether Privacy Shield is a valid system to protect the data coming into the United States from the EU. Now, that was all quite a bit, but I think that history is necessary to understand that this is a several this is several years in the making. This is something people have been speculating on for quite some time. It's also something called binding corporate rules, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So we'll we'll get into the details of the decision. What I just want to kind of get into is what did it look like for companies that were opting in to either the SCC standard contractual clauses or operating under Privacy Shield? Because there were something like 5,300 companies in the U.S. that were operating under Privacy Shield. And these standard contractual clauses are pre-written things set out by the EU. So did companies need to choose one? Were they able to operate under both? And what, what was the literal procedure, just so we can kind of lay that out? Companies could operate under both. Um, they, could, they could have a layered protection. Um, they weren't obligated to. Um, but in order to participate in the privacy shield, essentially what companies had to do was uh, create a privacy policy and submit it to uh, the privacy shield program, which was administered by the Department of Commerce. And they would review it, approve it, and then companies would have to comply with the terms of those policies. And there were certain requirements of the policies um, substantive to describe how companies used information in certain ways. And 
it also created um, an ombudsperson. So it essentially treated the uh, Department of Commerce and, and the FTC as the United States ombudsperson, um, as, the, as the data protection authority um, within the United States. And the standard contractual clauses is a separate um, transfer mechanism, which would allow companies to agree to their own terms um, saying, we're going to comply with X, Y, and Z um, that were designed, um, were designed to introduce restrictions that would respect the rights that are guaranteed to Europeans under European law. And these, the standard contractual clauses were developed um, by, uh, I, well, were developed in Europe specifically um, to comply with, with the regulations. Now, Tony, we've given that uh, we work in the CCPA field, at least, and in a lot of other fields that deal with privacy laws, we deal with these kinds of vendor contracts all the time, where a company that is collecting the data is shipping the data to a service provider and saying, please, please handle this data. And if you do, you have to comply with the CCPA or you have to comply with such and such law. Because if you don't, we're going to get in trouble because we are the ones who have the relationship with the client. And the SCCs and the Privacy Shield, in a sense, fulfill the same role. And again, we're not talking about government surveillance, but we're just talking about ensuring that every step along the chain agrees to protect the privacy of the data. Would you agree with that characterization? Yeah, I think um, I think Carl brought up a good point is that there's kind of two uh, data paths to get to data privacy. And one of them was the SCCs, the standard clauses, and the other one was privacy shield. Um, so th they're kind of sort of standard contracts that uh, companies could agree with or come to terms with in terms of data protection, you know, privacy, uh, data privacy protection for EU um, member states, as well as all of their citizens, that whenever their data left the country, as long as that data was leaving the country or being transferred for commercial purposes from somewhere within the EU to somewhere outside the EU, that one of those two standard contracts, one being SEC, the other being um, Privacy Shield was being complied with. And, and now SHREMS 2 has kind of answered the questions with respect to whether or not those two standardized contracts are valid, number one, and in line with uh, the rights that GDPR and the Charter uh, give to all of the European citizens. So just the way that the SECs were designed, I guess, is that like, let's say we have a third country as it's referred to in the GDPR. And obviously we're not talking about a third country, we're talking about third party country or non-EU country. If let's say there's a country that is not part of the EU, does not have national privacy laws, or they do and they're not very good. And for the purposes of this, of this hypo, there's no government surveillance. They just don't have strong local privacy laws that country would not be considered adequate, but could, but a company that is located in that country could enter into a data sharing agreement with an EU country, with a company based in the EU, as long as they agree 
to the SCCs, which basically means that for the purposes of this transaction, they're opting into the GDPR. Is that about right, Carl? Well, it's not necessarily that they're opting into the GDPR, but they are, yes, they would, you could transfer data to that entity, um, specifically in compliance with those standard contractual clauses, which extends liability for certain things. And um, yes, that would allow them to transfer that to that third party country. So what, just again, pre-SHREMS 2, what would have been the effective difference for a company in the United States between operating under Privacy Shield versus operating under the SCCs? The difference would have been that operating under Privacy Shield, um, the obligations on companies were to include certain things in their own privacy policy, and they were answerable to the Federal Trade Commission. Um, Whereas under the SCCs, there are just different obligations in that they um, they have to respect certain European citizen rights and there are different distributions of potential liability for claims under these laws. Um, and, and I think Tony probably uh, could say a little more. Yeah, I think, I think it's really just, if you look at it from a very simplistic uh, point of view, the SCC is one contract that's got a bunch of terms in it, and the Privacy Shield is another contract that has a bunch of terms in it. The, some of those terms overlap, and some of them don't. So if you have, you could have contracted with a, a company under one con- set of contractual agreements, or contracted with a company under a different set of contractual agreements, and those were the two sort of standardized agreements that that the EU had already sort of found were okay uh, until today. So nice segue, Tony. Let's talk about today. So the decision that came out today, July 16th, Thursday morning, which is the same day we're recording this podcast, um, basically held that SCCs are valid under certain circumstances, but that Privacy Shield is not. Privacy Shield is not a valid protection of European consumer privacy. Now, the circumstances under which SCCs will be valid is something that we're going to discuss and something that will have to be borne out by the courts over the next several years, I'm sure. But the reason why the court held Privacy Shield to be illegal or to be uh, to be null is very interesting because in particular, something that we've been alluding to the last several minutes is that the United States surveillance system uh, by the government is significantly more than in EU countries and is something that the EU companies and the EU privacy activists are very concerned about. Um, We saw early on that Schrem's original objection was based on the revelations revealed by um, Edward Snowden as to the FISA warrants that we saw. And regardless is that the court specifically said in this situation that, to a long story short, the data from Europeans that may go to American-held companies are now becoming subject to U.S. government surveillance in a way that is beyond what is necessary or proportional, and therefore even operating under the, under the privacy shield it is not adequate. 
Uh, Tony, is there anything you wanted to add to the government surveillance portion of this? Yeah, so the, the, one of the things that the court really focused on in their decision was the role of the Privacy Shield Ombudsman and whether or not he is an independent actor that gives someone who wanted to bring a cause of action to their privacy rights being, being violated, whether or not somebody could actually do that. And, and they found that he couldn't. They found that his decisions, uh, unfortunately or not, were not binding on the uh, intelligence community in the United States. And so somebody really couldn't bring a cause of action for, their, for a violation in terms of their uh, personal data that would allow them to have that data be removed from any databases. And I think the court really relied a lot on that because they spent a lot of time talking about it. Yeah. And if you read the decision by the court, they specifically say the Privacy Shield ombudsperson is not a tribunal. So you can make a complaint to the ombudsperson, but that doesn't mean that there's anything that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that you're going to be heard. And it certainly doesn't mean that they're going to stop their surveillance in a way that is enforceable and in a way that would make it adequate, at least in that way, with the GDPR and European law regarding government surveillance. What's particularly interesting also is that um, the court did seem to at least acknowledge that some surveillance is permitted, that if you look at the press release by the court, by the CJEU, what they say is in the view of the court, the limitations on the protection of personal data arising from the domestic law of the United States on the access and use by U.S. public authorities of such data transferred from the EU are, are not circumscribed in a way that satisfies requirements that are essentially equivalent to those required under EU law by the principle of portionality insofar as the surveillance programs based on those provisions are not limited to what is strictly necessary. What that means is the U.S. government spies on whatever it wants, and any European data that goes to the United States will be spied upon by the U.S. government. Carl, do you read that the same way? Well, yeah, I, I think that the the decision, well, stepping back for just a second, I think it, it's important to understand that in the decision, when we say that they invalidated Privacy Shield, um, it's not necessary. I mean, in effect, they invalidated Privacy Shield as a mechanism, but really what they've done is they've overturned the decision that resulted in Privacy Shield. And they have, in doing so, said, one, the ombudsperson, as we were just talking about, is inadequate to provide European citizens recourse for, um, for infringement on their privacy rights. And two, the, the substantive protections aren't there fundamentally because of these surveillance programs that have been authorized by the FISA courts in the United States. Yeah, I think, I think the other part of this is, I think the, the EU court realizes that there has to be some way of covertly surveilling data, even within the EU. I mean, they, they realize that this happens and it goes on. 
but there has to be, I think they refer to Article 52 of the, the EU Charter that says any limitation on the exercise of the rights and freedoms uh, recognized by the Charter has to be not only provided for by law, which they're giving some sort of wiggle words to way to get out of that, but it has to respect the essence of those rights and freedoms. So this bulk collection of data or targeting of people without necessity is violates Article 52. And they, they did speak a little bit about that in the decision as well. So in the aftermath of this decision, there has been, and perhaps fairly, quite a bit of criticism of the U.S. surveillance state that has caused, that has allegedly caused this conflict. If you look at uh, Max Schrems in the aftermath of this, made a very interesting statement and um, content warning here. Um, the judgment is not the cause, this is a quote, the judgment is not the cause of a limit to data transfers, but the consequence of UN, U.S. surveillance laws. You can't blame the court for saying the unavoidable. When shit hits the fan, you can't blame the fan, which I think pretty uh, nicely sums up at least his position on this, which is that if the United States wanted to have adequacy to the EU, they're not going about it the right way. Now, also in the aftermath of this, uh, I saw a, a Politico reporter who said that a U.S. official told reporters this afternoon that changes to the U.S. surveillance regime are not likely are, are likely not quote advisable or possible at this stage. So is the United States going to dismantle its surveillance regime in an effort to achieve adequacy with the EU privacy laws? Probably not. Carl, did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I think it's just um, important or beneficial to kind of understand the, the EU court's stated problem with uh, surveillance it, it, on the United States' behalf you know, they specifically talk about um, PRISM and, and other uh, U.S. intelligence gathering operations. And, and they talk about, essentially, they're, they're not willing to say, we're going to authorize transfer through these transatlantic undersea cables through which mass amounts of information pass when the United States has authorized a screen that could possibly intercept all of those communications. Um, that, that it's not necessarily that it is happening to every person, but there's just a lack of protection offered and a lack of recourse based on that lack of protection. Which if you, I mean, we're Americans, we have the constitution, everything about, everything in the US is not about, is not about protection from the government, but is about recourse when the government eventually oversteps. And if we're not applying those same kind of base constitutional rights to European data, then why would the European data protection people have any interest in letting Ameri the American surveillance system review that data? Right, and, and, that was, and that was again what I was bringing up earlier was that they need to have, and, and I think you said this too, Daniel, it's, it's it's got to have a tribunal that allows for some sort of recourse, uh, not only for Americans, but for the Europeans as well. And I think that's in Article 47 of the Charter that they, they have to have a right for an effective remedy. And in this case, with respect to the privacy shield decision, there was none. 
So going forward, I can kind of see a few different scenarios and I'm, I'm seeing some mixed analysis on what exactly the court's decision means. Obviously, Privacy Shield is gone. We know that. <clears throat> and after Safe Harbor and Privacy Shield kind of went, both went the way of the dinosaur for similar reasons, it seems like there's not likely to be another similar treaty that gets that will actually stand up unless there are fundamental changes. But So let's not talk about the Privacy Shield. So going forward, though, I've seen a lot of mixed analysis as to how SCCs are going to be treated in the future. Now, some in-house counsel I've seen have analyzed, and you can even see Facebook and other big tech companies' response to this is, well, we know Privacy Shield is gone now, but at least we have SCCs. Max Schrems and his people are saying, no, this decision means that SCCs between the EU and America are dead. Now, if we can still reach, we can still have these SCCs, but there's no way that two private parties can contract out of U.S. government surveillance. Do you see a way that something resembling an SCC or something else that would permit international data transfer can survive, Tony? Yeah, I do. I think, again, I think it's really going to be something to the effect of not only it's SCCs in general. Again, what's going to happen is it's going to be SCC minus one clause, SCC minus two clauses, SCC minus three clauses, or the clauses get moved around or, or somehow modified such that the, even the SECs will be dead. I think, I think somebody who says that SEC is dead is incorrect, uh, given what the court held today, because I'm pretty sure they held that it was the SEC decision that was, that was, was affirmed. But what's going to happen now is how much can we cut out of the, all the SECs and still have an adequate protection of the data coming from Europe? And, and I think that's where the next fight is going to be. Yeah, the decision was literally just nothing has affected the validity of the former decision that permitted SCCs. Right. And and not only that, I, I want to get I want to get to Carl. I want to hear his thoughts on this. But I think that there is something in there about uh, the supervisory authorities in each country are required to suspend transfers of data if there's no uh, if the if the, the SCCs between that country between the two countries that are involved are not uh, adequate. Yeah, I think that's a, that, that's right, Tony. And I think that the, the next step here is not that um, every company who who's using standard contractual clauses is immediately um, in violation, but I do think that the suggestion is that supervisory authorities, the national supervisory, supervisory authorities in each European member state has an obligation to suspend transfers to people in the United States based upon the the European Court of Justice's decision that the the data protection laws here are inadequate um, to protect EU citizen data. And I think in the spirit of our discussion of you know looking to the future, um, the the Court of Justice specifically, actually at the end of its decision, says we don't anticipate this creating a, a legal vacuum because people can still transfer information under Article 49 of the GDPR, 
which is the article that says if you can't do it by standard contractual clauses and you can't do it by inadequacy ruling, then you can do it by X, Y, and Z. Um, the, the issue long-term in relying on that is that article, while it lists other reasons that you can transfer information, specifically says that it is not to be used, those derogations are not to be used for the regular and systematic transfer of information. So I do think that there's gonna be, there has to be a large scramble to figure out a, a new way of justifying this once or, or of allowing transfers to and from the EU once those supervisory authorities make the conclusion that the US's privacy laws offer inadequate protections for individuals from government surveillance. And I think we just move from, from privacy shield to SCC at that point from a, a global perspective. Again, it comes down to what SCCs both companies uh, agree to. It, again, there's going to be somebody's going to want to leave one of these clauses out, and that's what's going to change how this all takes place and whether or not that clause from one member state is okay. If removing that clause from one member state is okay, whereas removing that clause from another member state is not okay. What I'm trying to figure out is, is there a way that something can exist that would broadly authorize data transfers between the EU and the US that doesn't involve a massive change in policy by the US government? And I can't come up with it. Now, some of the suggestions for this after this decision have been that maybe this will be a, this will cause a push for a US version of the GDPR. Um, notably, the GDPR allows for findings of adequacy based on smaller, uh, based on portions of countries. So maybe California will become adequate when the rest of it, the US will not, although that won't necessarily solve the government snooping problem. I guess what I'm, at, what I'm wondering is that if SCCs are basically going to be based on a fact, on a case-by-case -case and country-by-country -country basis, what is a scenario in which a, an EU company and a US company agree to a data transfer agreement and the Data Protection Authority looks at this and says, well, this US company is still subject to US surveillance and yet we're going to rubber stamp it. It seems like until something changes from the U.S. government perspective, any data protection authority in the EU that examines one of these SECs is bound to find a problem with it. Tony? Yeah, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, it, it may be true, but I think the, the issue is going to come down to whether those SECs provide the EU citizen a right of redress. And, and that was why I think Privacy Shield was jettisoned today, because it really didn't provide that. Whereas depending on how the SECs are written and whether or not that's included with the SEC that these two companies agree upon, then that I think could allow it. I don't think you're gonna stop a governmental intrusion into any of this. I think there's, there's too much 
we've 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 opened that barn door and when it's the the horse is gone it's just not going to come back but the 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 real reason i think that they got rid of privacy shield the privacy shield decision is because the the eu citizen has no way to stop it and and that's what i think the scc's still provide uh the the european citizen that privacy shield didn't so tony this is carl here i just i wonder do you think are you saying that standard contractual clauses will in the future offer an eu citizen recourse with the u.s government if their rights are infringed upon by virtue of surveillance programs or are you saying that it would offer recourse with one of one of the parties to the contract i'm not sure how they're going to do that because it's hard to it's hard to enforce a contract against a, a non-contracting party but I would imagine that even the EU countries that are members that have all signed up to the charter as well as GDPR also surveil their own citizens information when it's necessary. I mean, that was definitely a part of the decision. They, they, the, the court did not want to eliminate that part of the ability of EU countries to surveil uh, traffic and, and personal data. That said, they aren't trying to prevent the U.S. government from doing the same thing when it's necessary, when that limitation is reasonable. If they can't make it reasonable, and whether or not it can be made reasonable with respect to the U.S. government is, is still an, an open question, I think, uh, given today's decision. But if they can make it reasonable, and apparently the SCCs enable at least in some way, the the GDPR to be to be implemented between EU and non-EU countries, then it must be possible to do the same thing with the United States. Yeah, and I, I think part of what the court talked about was that the the FISA courts in the United States that authorize surveillance programs, um, they authorize them on a program by program basis, not on not on the basis of the individual who would be subject to surveillance. And, and that was part of their reasoning in that it's hard to demonstrate that surveillance of anyone in any one individual is necessary because that that determination isn't really being made in the scope of the FISA court's determination, which is more on a holistic program by program basis. I think a few people that recently had FISA warrants out on their uh, personal data and what they were doing might disagree with that. But um, I think that for the most part, you're right. That FISA warrants are probably not often granted with respect to individuals. They're more granted with respect to programs. And I don't think that those warrants are probably going to be uh, jettisoned in the future just because we're trying to com you know comply with gdpr with respect to the us there's there's other ways to do that such that uh, at least through the sccs there's got to be a way to do that otherwise there's just not going to be any more data transfer that you use just not going to allow it to happen and i think in this global economy and global you know world that we live in that's just really not a reality 
Do you think maybe the reality that we end up seeing or the standardized SEC that we see is going to be something more like where where the European country, uh, European company or the European consumer has the right to appeal to the American company who then has the right to seek redress from the court system? Because again, short of a massive change in our domestic and foreign policy when it comes to surveillance, which is probably not going to happen anytime soon, it, uh, you know, these issues are not going to change on that front. Yeah, I don't think that there's going to be a massive change. I mean, this has been going on since uh, the early 80s. I think uh, the executive order that they that they mentioned in the case was signed in 81 by President Reagan. So, I mean, this has been going on for some time uh, in terms of in terms of what data is being collected. The problem I think that the court today did not address is how much data is actually going back and forth. And and it's difficult to analyze that data in terms of, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's difficult to analyze that amount of data to really pull an individual's piece of data out of that you know, the, the needle in the proverbial haystack. So I think that's why they're, they're backing off the privacy shield issue and trying to go towards a standardized approach to this data transfer, because I think they really want to see the same rules applied equally everywhere. And, and they saw, at least with respect to privacy shield, that it was being applied sort of arbitrarily in the United States as opposed to other countries. So I think they wanted to, to get towards a single solution, which, which is going to be this SEC-based approach. As we think about companies who are addressing this going forward, there are likely going to be a few different considerations that they're going to have. One, as I heard some in-house attorneys discussing earlier today, these companies that opted into the privacy shield or that disclosed that they were agreeing to the privacy shield in their privacy notices and their privacy policies, they've still agreed to those. And just because it isn't, doesn't convey adequacy with the EU doesn't mean that they don't still need to, don't still have potentially a contractual obligation to comply with the steps that they agreed to follow under the privacy shield. And second of all, there are, are likely going to be companies, or at least potentially going to be companies that try not to transfer data overseas and do more localized processing so that they don't have to ship something to an inadequate country and need to deal with this process. Do you guys, well, let's start with Carl. Carl, do you think either of those is something we're going to be seeing in the post-Schrems part de world? Like the French flair. Well, I don't know how to say part two in, uh, in German, so. I, I don't know that, um, well, I, I do think that we will see, I do think that we will see um, more attempts to process data regionally um, within Europe to the extent possible. The, um, the privacy shield, right, it essentially treated the United States as equivalent to the European Union in terms of the ability to transfer information back and forth, and therefore it made it convenient to, to 
transfer information to be processed in the United States. Um, since, since it won't be so convenient and there's a lot of uncertainty now um, after this decision, I do think that people will try to shift processing to the extent that they can um, to happen regionally within the EU, um, which it remains to be seen how problematic that is. Um, you know, even large American companies have data centers um, of subsidiaries in, in Europe, um, specifically to house, look, house information in specific locations. Um, so we'll see. Tony might have more to say on that. Well, I, I agree with you, Carl. I think, I think that's, a, that's probably what we're going to see is we're going to see data processing be a more localized approach. You won't see as much transfer of data. That just means that, you know, are we going to see different, you know, transfers instead of to America? Or were they going to go to Canada first and then Canada and America have a different agreement? Who knows, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it, this, this decision opens up Pandora's box and, and hopefully that, you know, all that's left is hope that we can figure out how to get to a place where privacy, you know, data privacy is standardized at least. I mean, at, at this point, I don't see that standardization. I see uh, a lot of different approaches to how this is going to work. I would hope that we get to kind of a GDPR standard. Uh, and I think that's what CCPA in California is trying to get at. But it's, it's really difficult to have a state-by-state uh, state, um, approach to data privacy when really data is going to and from countries as is was really kind of talked about more today in the Schrems 2 decision. Yeah, and with respect to the CCPA meeting adequacy determinations, um, the CCPA only applies to California residents and if, if, this, if the state of California were to try to say the CCPA applies to California residents and residents of the European Union, there would be some constitutional issues. Right. Plus, you know, if the state of California had its own version of FISA um, and was spying on California citizens, then the CCPA wouldn't do anything to stop it. And so it would take more than just kind of a national CCPA to meet adequacy. It would take um, either a massive reduction in government surveillance or increase in laws passed that uh, protect uh, um, U.S. citizens and others from government surveillance or gives, gives them, as we've discussed, the right to redress. Yeah, just, just to be clear, so the executive order and the, uh, the, the programs that were mentioned in the, uh, the decision today um, don't deal at all with inside of the United States surveillance. They're, they're, they're only about foreign intelligence gathering. So this is why those things were brought up, I think so heavily, is because that data that is coming from the EU, from a foreign location uh, with respect to the United States, that's where uh, the EU is really concerned because they, once it leaves the EU confines, it's difficult for them to control it anymore. And, and since they have no control over it, 
other than the standard contractual clauses that they kind of helped write essentially. That's why I think Privacy Shield went uh, by the wayside and, and SEC survived today. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it, it makes sense, right, when you see uh, data protection authorities in Europe um, investigating and fining American companies for their European operations. Um, what the court is saying is there's no opportunity for European residents to do that if the violations occur in the United States. And that's what they, they're taking an issue with. Well, I think that's as much prediction as we can make at this point. We, we've seen the document, we've seen the analysis, and now we're going to have to see how things play out. Obviously, Mr. Schrems is on one end and Facebook's general counsel is on the other. And um, they're both very intelligent people who fundamentally disagree about what this decision actually says. So thank you guys for joining me today. Uh, this has been really interesting analysis and clearly shows that international data transfers are not going away, but the, the way they're going to look and the sorts of legal agreements around them are, are going to change, are going to, uh, to take on a form that we're not quite sure what they're going to look like yet. So thank you again, Tony Orler from our, uh, from our Los Angeles office, Carl Gerner from our Seattle office. My name is Daniel Zarchi. Thank you again for listening. Please visit us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Subscribe, review, rate, all that helps us get this podcast out to more people. We'll be back in two weeks with another hot topic. Uh, Tony's got something brewing and, and we're going to see. We're going to see if we can um, blow the doors open on some great new privacy stories. So thank you again for listening. Take care.